Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 298 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is December 9th, 2013. we got a big show for you this week on the podcast. We, have, of course, have to talk about Steve Sarkeesian being the new head coach at USC. We, our podcast last week went up right before we found out that Steve Sarkeesian was going to take over the USC head coaching spot. So we've got a lot to talk about with that. A lot of questions to get to. If you have any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call us at 206-888-6755, or you can go right to our uh, webpage, peristylepodcast.com, and leave a voicemail right on there from your computer on the left side of the page. Just click on leave us a voicemail, and you can get a question in that way. All right, without further ado, wanted to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde, who's joining us now. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Ryan, uh, happy holidays to everyone out there, and I uh, want to say thank you very much. Uh, I'm sorry last week I didn't have a chance to jump on uh, the uh, hiring of the new head football coach at USC. We did our podcast on Sunday because I was going out of town on Monday, but I'm back now, and I don't want to recap, if it's okay with you, Ryan, all the things people have heard about. I'd rather give my opinion on everything that went on and then talk about the new hiring, but first of all, I've got to say to you, here we go into another year, and can you believe it, the 298th one we've done in a row. <laughs> Crazy. I think 300 is going to be around Christmas time, so I'm not sure how that's going to – we'll figure that out, how that's going to work. But, uh, I want to, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this, Coach. And before you know, I want to thank our sponsor, too, Southern California Tickets, who've been, us, been with us all the way, almost 300 episodes, sctickets.com. Is the website. You can go see Kobe Bryant now. If you want to watch the Lakers, you can go to sctickets.com. They'll hook you up or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Lots of good stuff uh, going on there. Book of Mormon uh, in L.A. That's another one I want to go see. Um, but lots of stuff on sctickets.com. And yeah, Coach, almost 300 episodes. It's pretty crazy. It is. And let me tell you this too, Ryan. Probably the hottest ticket around or two hottest tickets around are the BCS championship game. And I know that you can get tickets there from uh, Southern California Tickets. I'll tell you, they are hot. And also the Rose Bowl game, Stanford and uh, Michigan State. Maybe you don't want to see Stanford play. But if you haven't ever been to a Rose Bowl game or a parade, it's something you should try. And you can get tickets from Southern California Ticket Service. Cool. All right. Yeah, those were good ones to check out. Um, Coach, okay, so I think, you know, like we said, we taped the podcast Sunday night. But we had it up Monday morning before all the news broke. Um, and I actually went into the ESPN studios to tape a podcast that morning, Monday morning that they never got to air because we were talking about, you know, this, the, who the coaches could be. One of them we talked about could be Steve Sarkeesian, but by the time we got out of the studio, the news was starting to break that it was Steve Sarkeesian. So that, that podcast just didn't go away. At least we got to play ours up for a little bit. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts coach on, on what you think of the, uh, the Steve Sarkeesian hire and how that all went down. Well, you know, just to give you a quick recap, and I don't know if I can do anything quickly, but uh, to give you a recap, uh, I was in Las Vegas, and I heard of it there 
and I was somewhat shocked. I was shocked to the point that a hiring was done that quickly. So at that time, I said, uh, unless this was in process, then it would be very difficult to hire somebody that quickly. Of course, as far as within the Pac-12, you've got to have relationships and you've got to get permission and all all of those type of things. As far as uh, talking to a coach, it's on contract. So obviously, I felt as though uh, a lot had to do with the UCLA game and uh, the progress of the team and evaluating Coach Ed Ogeron as a head football coach. Uh, I think, and I'm going to be honest, I think that during the UCLA game, as during the Arizona State, Pat Hayden made a decision, uh, the way the team was playing, that this is not what we want. There wasn't many adjustments. They were outcoached. They didn't come ready to play. uh, And... In a way, he said at that time, without going public with this or without telling Coach Ed Orgeron uh, that I'm looking. And he had in mind his first choice, which is Steve Sarkeesian. I'll get to that in a moment. And I think at that time he should not have said to Ed Orgeron, go out, recruit, get after it, get it done, because he had a different plan. I think it should have been a more honest type of approach that, Ed, we're going to talk to people. Uh, There's a possibility you could still be the head coach, but uh, I want to prepare you that it's not an automatic thing any longer and prepare him so that it wouldn't have been such an emotional shock to him when it happened. I really believe this because he has a lot of pride. He loved SC. Loved the players at USC, and when he was hit with all this at one time, he reacted emotionally, and he's probably sorry he did what he did because when you have a job, it's easier to get a job. They were going to reward him handsomely with with money, and he could have finished a movie, Ryan. It's a movie story. He could have said, I'm going to coach these kids all the way to the end, we're going to the Las Vegas Bowl, but I knew last week they were going to the Las Vegas Bowl. And and go up there, win, have them carry him around on his shoulders, be a Trojan still, the whole package, embrace Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, it could have been a glorious event. And then, of course, explore the opportunities of staying, see what Steve Sarkeesian had in mind for him because he's trying to bring his defensive line coach from Washington and they say, well, what did you have in mind for me as far as on this staff? Because financially he took a hit. Emotionally he was not in a position to make a, 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 an intelligent decision. And I wish he'd have thought about it before in saying, if I don't get this job, what is my comments and my reactions going to be? But by hitting it, he was in the same shock I was in Monday, yet he's much closer to the program, and it affected him, of course, a lot more than it affected all of us. He was on a 530 plane. He was gone back to Louisiana. If he had to think it over again, he wouldn't have done that. He's a prideful man. 
and of course working for Steve Sarkeesian, probably affected him to say, wait a minute, this guy was a GA when I was coaching here. He, he got my coffee or whatever. And it, took, it takes time to adjust to things like that. So I think that could have been a lot smoother, and I think everybody would have been more uh, happy with the way it went. There's a mixed feeling here on he was treated wrong or treated right, and I think there, there could be. So Steve Sarkeesian's hiring, I'll say it this way, I think he was the best at what was available. I didn't like any of the other names. Uh, Chris Peterson would not have fit in Southern California. He didn't even recruit the same players that Steve Sarkeesian recruited, which means when he came to Southern California, he knew all the players on the team. They knew him. They knew who he was. They knew his personality. He could walk around and recognize him. Chris, Chris Peterson would not have had that same embracement as far as the changeover, period. I think that was something that that has gone very smoothly. I haven't heard anyone make players make any strong opinions as far as I'm leaving. It's not the same. Of course they miss Coach O. Everyone does. Seeing him at practice or seeing him anywhere uh, will be something missing, lacking on the practice field. We all know that, so we can't hide that. But being on the same staff with Steve Sarkeesian would have been very difficult, too. Here's a guy that was the head coach, the players all love. Uh, you, now you're going to take Ed and put him in the back of the bus or on the sideline when he's been walking through the Trojan Walk, everybody cheering from him, charging on the field. He, he was a celebrity. He was the biggest name in L.A. for a period of time as Kobe Bryant. And let's accept it. So it was a big shock to everyone. So I'm not saying it was good for both. Could have been a lot smoother in him as far as getting his recognition, recognition in a better way. Be at the banquet. Go through all that. People stand up and hurrah. Steve Sarkeesian, hurrah. The whole thing. This is what potentially could have been there, but it didn't happen. So, Coach O, I want him to wish him the best. Uh, I think he would have been able to get a head co coaching job a lot easier after winning the Las Vegas Bowl, and I say that positively because I think they really, really would have played for him, knowing that was his last USC possibly last USC game. And you need emotion to go against Fresno State. You don't want to go up there flat and have the same experience you had in the Sun Bowl. So I think there could have been a lot more thinking on this and a lot more ways this could have been done. But as far as Steve Sarkeesian, being at USC, uh, I think he'll do a good job. I think it was good coming in. Uh, the other names didn't excite me at all. Plus, a, true, uh, a very smooth transition between uh, coaches here at USC, players here at USC, and that part of it, right? That's that's a short version. I could do the whole thing. <laughs> well, okay. So there's uh, there was definitely mixed reviews, um, and we'll, we're going to talk to Dan Weber about it. What what people thought, what Pat Hayden did, the whole situation, and uh, there's I think there's some people that are optimistic that Steve Sarkeesian's the head coach and got to move forward with that. But there's a lot of people that that aren't still. Uh, it's 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 been polarizing, and I wanted to play this voicemail for you because we got a lot of um, questions and comments and stuff that kind of go along with this. Maybe not as uh, 
into it as as this this person is, but I, I'll play it for you, and you can kind of decide for yourself. Yeah, I just want to express my extreme disappointment in the hiring of Steve Sarkifian. Um, if you're going to go for it, I mean, the highest, correct me if I'm wrong, the highest he's ever finished is third in the Pac-12 North. 34 and 29 just isn't getting it done. I don't care where he took the program from. If you're going to hire a, a coach in conference, you better hire Todd Graham. You don't hire this clown. This guy's terrible. Um, it, it, you might as well have kept Kiffin. And, and, and another thing that's really upsetting is I was very upset when they stabbed Norm Chow in the back. Um, Carroll could have had a wooden-esque type of a run, but he had to he had to make room for these two clowns. And now and now they stab Coach Owen back, and it, this is not going to go well either. They've just set UCLA up for dominance, and they will not even win the Pac-12 South in in, in every year that this guy's the coach. Mark it down. That's what's going to happen. Thank you. Well, that's a very interesting uh, question, and uh, I'll try to answer it as uh, honestly as I can. Uh, going back to the Norm Chow situation, I think it was very unfortunate the way Norm Chow left USC. I uh, want you to know that Steve Sarkeesian's career is owned to Norm Chow. He played for Norm Chow at BYU. Uh, he was a walk-on coach at El Camino College when Norm Chow was hired at USC. He went to Pete Carroll and said, I have a former quarterback that knows my offense. I'd like to have him hired as a GA. Pete Carroll didn't know who Steve Sarkeesian was, but he took Norm Chow's word and uh, all of a sudden, from a walk-on coach at El Camino College, he became uh, a graduate assistant at USC. He learned under Norm Chow. Unfortunately, he knew the system under Norm Chow. And because of that, started his coaching career. And there's a lot of difficult things that happened during that period of time. And I'm not saying who was behind any of it, but Norm Chow left. USC because I, the way I understand it, there was a, a combination of reasons. One being uh, he was not going to be, and this all hearsay, that he wasn't going to call the plays any longer. So he left. He went to Tennessee. In all of the comments I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, or anybody out there, <clears throat> excuse me, I have not heard him mention ever Norm Chow, give Norm Chow credit. So I'm just backing up some of the thoughts you have. Norm Chow is a personal friend of mine, but when you ask questions, I answer things to the best of my ability by just experiences. And I think that that was uh, not done with a lot of professionalism. Number Two, as far as Steve Sarkeesian, when he was offensive coordinator, I think he was the best of the two. I think he learned on the job, and at USC you don't learn on the job. I even said that on our Trojan Brunch shows, and I probably even said it on our podcast, that USC you don't learn at. USC you know at when you come in. 
and I even said, you've got to learn how to fly a Piper Cub airplane before you fly Air Force One. And I describe USC football as Air Force One if you're a coordinator and you're flying it. But now, on the positive side of that, he went to Washington as a head football coach. Now, here's where he learned football. Being a head football coach, he had to deal with different things, deal with the off-field incidents, deal with recruiting, deal with the media, deal with all these things. So if you're going to have a class in being a head football coach, then why not have it at a major program, such as the University of Washington, play in the same conference that you're going to be able to compete in, know the opposition in your conference, and also now step up your recruiting and recruit the same guys you're recruiting at Washington for next year's class. Except now you're at a stronger, I feel, university as far as recruiting-wise for California kids. So that's why I think that part of it is positive. As far as another Lane Kiffin, I think what Steve Sarkeesian has over Lane Kiffin is experience. And he's a more personal, outgoing individual than Lane Kiffin. So I'm not saying it's a 2.0. Todd Graham has had a great record at Arizona State and did beat USC. But USC did beat Stanford. So, you know, that could be a an, ar- an argument of some type. Todd Graham is not one that stays at a university long. But he did a tremendous job at Arizona State. Would he have been considered? I don't know. Should he be considered? Possibly. But I think this fit, as far as being at USC, knowing USC, in knowing the procedures at USC fits better than Todd Graham because of those positive things that he brings back with him being at USC before. So that's my discussion, not my argument. I'm just telling you as looking at the big picture on your question, that's how I look at it, Ryan. All right. Uh, thanks for that question there. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of criticism obviously on the administration right now. One of the things that came up um, more recently, Coach, and uh, this was something I really didn't even think of until I started to see fans complaining about it, but we asked Steve Sarkeesian if he was going to call the plays, and he said yes, and JD in DC wants to know, why is there no concern that Sark will be calling his plays at head coach? Wasn't that the big criticism of Coach Lane Kiffin? What do you think about that? Yes, it was a big criticism of, of Lane Kiffin, but Sark has demonstrated he can be a head coach and game manage a game as a play caller. And uh, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but he is involved in the entire game as it is going on. Coach Kiffin wasn't. Uh, I think that uh, he had more to say about the defensive schemes. He knew what was going on on defense. He was more of a player's type of coach. I don't think there was any favoritisms. Uh, Players have always said positive things about him. I don't feel their program was in turmoil. I agree he didn't. He was 34 and 29, which wasn't like a 50 and 0 coach coming to USC. But uh, I think that he has brought a different scheme of offense that was necessary 
two for USC to win. You cannot, if you watch all the playoff games and watch all the big games and everything that's out there today, you got to have a spread offense. You got to win quick up tempo. You got to do all the things above. You've got to make that transition or you're not going to win. Now, Stanford was able to pull it off this year because they got a bunch of, I don't want to call it beast. <laughs> I mean, it's that their front line and the way they play, it just try to hurt you. And it's been successful. Now, next year is going to be something I'm interested to see what Stanford does, because those guys are all gone. But I think that the Auburn type of offense, the you know Florida State, everybody, every great team is doing it, that you have to make some changes in the offense at USC. Now, a lot of people will argue with me, but you've got to have 11 players on the field. You've got to have all your players active in the offense. And this past year, USC, or the last several years, they have not had that. And they, and the defenses have caught up to them. I think he'll be able to handle that in a much more positive manner than what uh, Lane Kiffin did. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. James in Kansas City, Coach, wrote in, and I think it was about a two-page uh, essay. <laughs> and I wrote him back. I'm like, I, you know, I can't read this on the air. So it was really long. But he came back with a much simpler uh, question. Uh, what type of approach do you think Steve Sarkeesian will take? Excuse me. What type of approach do you think Steve Sarkeesian will take at USC? So I assume it means like the coaching approach, what, what he's going to be doing. What do you think, Coach? Well, first of all, I think his number one priority and what he knows it's got to be is the correct staff. You've got to have a staff. You have to have great coaches surrounding you. And at NC, you can get great coaches surrounding you. Not guys that are yes guys, but guys that may, may debate you and you listen to the debate because they've been there before. I know that when I was at UNLV, I had three or four guys move on, get head jobs, Pat Hill, all these other guys get head coaching jobs, but they are qualified for that. You want guys that are going to be head coaches on your staff. If you're intimidated by that, then, then you shouldn't be coaching. I want guys that want my job. Because if they want my job, that means we have to win for you to get a head coaching job or get my job where I move on somewhere else if there is a place I'm going. So staff selection is key. Morale of this team is the number two, the current players. you got to put a bandage on the bleeding. And I noticed that he's going to speak to every single player individually. Awesome. Great idea. Break down the barrier. Let them know you're, you're, you're here for them. The whole package. Get to know your players. Don't assume they like you. Don't assume uh, that they're going to like you. You've got to build up confidence in them, show them you love them, ask them what they think, uh, can improve the program, take their advice. Don't go in there and be a Hitler. Go in there and understand there's been a lot of bleeding going on here and rally the troops. I think that's number two. Number three, let's get some players. We've got to get out and get some players. You don't win in college football or any level without players. So I'd reevaluate, and he probably knows all of these players anyway, of the players that are verbally committed. Are we going to keep them, or should we call them and say there's been a change? Uh, you verbally committed uh, under somebody else. 
we're not sure we're going to maintain that. The ones that you are going to keep, hey, let them know right now there's no changes. We want you. And then the other co- players out there that maybe you're recruiting at Washington that uh, they were on the bubble, they might not be on the bubble anymore since you're at USC, especially if they haven't verbally committed because they're open out there. Because you're going to upset the University of Washington in a way that these players are verbally committed to the Huskies and now you're out recruiting players that you recruited on our money. You're going to hear all this stuff, okay? So you got to go out and get players. And once you get players, then you got to make sure these players fit your system so that you get all of their abilities on the playing field. And that comes with spring practice and the off-season program. And what type of lifting program are you going to have? What type of training program are you going to have? What are going to be your goals in spring practice? What are your techniques? What's your practice schedule going to be like? I understand now all the practices are going to be open to the public. It's amazing how all of a sudden this came about. It slowly has come about, and now it's here. So people are going to be able to go back out in the spring, bring their teams, bring their players, enjoy USC football again at practice. So things are starting to open up, and coaches, it's amazing. When coaches get fired, the next coach always has better things. (laughs) It always happens that way. More money, more facilities, more yeses than noes. Because when you hire a football coach and you're an athletic director, he better be successful. So don't stand in his way, but you're going to be evaluated as an athletic director. So when you hire a football coach, you better be damn sure this guy's successful, Ryan. Well, you have to be because, like you said, everything's ramped up and you put a lot of – there's a lot of pressure on everyone right now. And I think in this case, Coach, even more than normal because there's criticism of how the administration handled it. There's criticism of could they have got someone else. There's criticism that it on the surface it looks like it's kind of what you just did, Lane Kiffin 2.0. Um, there's a lot of criticism out there. If Steve Sarkeesian doesn't start winning, and there's criticism because Ed Orgeron was six and two over his last eight games. If Steve Sarkeesian's like has a six and six or seven and five season, right away there's going to be pressure because they're like, well, you had someone that was doing better than that, even with all these injuries and everything, and you bring in someone else and pay them more money, and, and you can't even get the same results you did last year with an interim coach. Ryan, you're exactly on. And one thing I think he's done that if I was tutoring him, I would say he's promising too much too early. We're going to go to the Rose Bowl. We're going to win national championships here. You know, the number one thing you do is you say, we're going to come in here and make this, build a foundation here and make this a program that will be there forever, like it has been. Don't start promising all of these things. Because if it doesn't happen, like you mentioned, immediately you have – Great criticism. You've got to be careful. You'd rather have him say there was nothing there and he won eight games. My goodness, what a great coach. You need to think of that before you get all emotional. Emotional, and he got very emotional, too, in his press conference and maybe promising too much. Don't promise too much. Always be aware of what you're saying. So uh, I certainly I hope he lives up to all that. But, you know, the Pac-12, Ryan, is not what it used to be. I, hey, 
you could get beat by anybody in the Pac-12. Yeah. Across town, Arizona, anywhere. Look at the coaches in the Pac-12. So you can't come in and say, we're going to get back to the Pete Carroll era right now. Hey, Pete Carroll couldn't get back to the Pete Carroll era right now. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? That's a dream. That's the way it was. Pete Carroll could count on Washington State and some of these teams in the Pac-12. Automatic wins. That's not there anymore. No lunch pail games. So, uh, that's something. And another thing, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to have a question on this, but I'll, I want to mention this. I think that, too, something that was very important that was neglected in a way is before you named Clay Helton as the third or second interim head coach, you should have waited to see if he was going to be part of the staff. It appears to me he's not going to be part of the staff. It appears. Uh, I would have waited to see who Steve Sarkeesian was going to hire from the current staff, and I would have made him the interim head coach, such as T. Martin. Why? Because you have someone that the kids look to that are going to be here next year, and they respect him, and he's going to be part of the family, and he's still leading the team. Other coaches, professionally-wise, Sure, they want to win, but they got to find a job for their future, too. So are they all going to be that involved in that portion of the game where T. Martin would be? And also he could have direct connections with Steve Sarkeesian as far as making sure that things are progressing the way he wants it to be. Because you don't want to come off the Las Vegas Bowl with a loss. As last year, you want to come off with a 10-win season with a positive attitude going into spring practice or spring training. So I think that is something I would have considered as an athletic director before, which they're not going to even practice. They're saying now in the paper they're only going to practice seven days. Holy cow. I don't know after you have all that time off, and I don't know when they're going to start seven days because of finals how they can get ready when Fresno State, this is their national championship game. Yeah, It's a national championship game for Fresno State. They'll bring 8, 10, 12,000 people to, to Las Vegas. So it's going to be difficult enough to beat them, yet have a coach that's coaching that may not be there, plus only practice seven days. And I'm telling you, Ryan, I told you last week, Fresno State got some receivers that are as good as any receivers in the Pac-12 and a quarterback that might be better than any of them. Might, I'm saying. Right. Is any of them. So you can't take this game lightly, and you've got to go up there to play. And it's difficult for me to say or think that those players would not want to practice and have the full benefit of 15 days to win a bowl game and get a ring than to say we're only going to practice seven days it would think you could find at least an hour, an hour and a half to get away from the books just to take a break to get ready for a bowl game. It means so much. Now, you know, this is me. I would have said, hey, this is important. I mean, if isn't this a final exam too? I mean, the other things are final exams. You got to want you want to pass the test. So if you only have seven days to study for it, and you could have fifteen days to study for it. To me, it just makes sense. But again, 
This is just my humble opinion. I would have argued if I'd have been the head coach for this. They're actually they start practice Monday, Tuesday, two days of practice, and then they they have off for finals until Saturday. Uh, but it's an early bowl game, coach. So that's kind of why. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that there's an underlying meaning to underlying meaning to all of this is how important is this bowl game to USC? I think the most important thing is getting the new staff in place for the administration. I don't think the administrations look at this bowl game like this is the end all. The administration's looking at this coach. The new coach is the end all. So maybe there's some underlying thing, and that I mean I think that's advantage Fresno State just to start because Fresno State they're focused on this. They won their conference. They won, I was at that game, the conference championship. Now they're focused on they want to beat a, a, a good USC team. USC is kind of focused on get the new coaching staff in place. <laughs> so it, it seems like the priorities are different. So when you have one guy that's really eyeing the prize and another one that isn't, you you know what usually happens. <laughs> no, no. And I'm just saying to finish a season that could be very respectful with 10 wins uh, is a final exam for these kids and everything. And I think that you could possibly find an hour, hour and a half a day, to go out there and get a little exercise and have some fun with your with your players and and uh, uh, that's just my thought. But again, people do it different ways, and I just hope that they can go up there and be successful in the Las Vegas Bowl. They'll have a great experience. It's a great bowl game. Hey, coach, I know we're we're running a little long, but I wanted two quick things from you. There was one more question, and then I wanted to get your Las Vegas Bowl thoughts. So the question, real quick, Tarek, uh, with Steve Sarkeesian at the helm, do you think that reopens the quarterback competition? Since Sarkeesian runs a more spread style uh, than we were used to, which is more Max Brown's pedigree than Cody Kessler's. Absolutely, I think I, I think I, I say that uh, and mean that. Absolutely, because it's a different uh, coach evaluating, different offense, different cir- cir- uh, circumstances. Uh, absolutely. I'm just going to answer it that way. It'll be wide open. Yeah, and I think Cody Kessler's a pretty athletic guy too. So we'll see. He wasn't asked to run before maybe in Sarkeesian's offense if he wins a job he'd be asked to run more so it'll be interesting to watch when we start seeing spring ball what they do so definitely stay tuned for that and then no one knows the Las Vegas Bowl uh like you do and so I want to kind of get your initial thoughts and we'll we'll have you know we'll have more podcasts talking about this of course but I want to get your initial thoughts on the Las Vegas Bowl well I think it's a great bowl for the kids they really do uh, I know what they do up there I was there last week in fact I was over in the Royal Purple Las Vegas Bowl office, talking with the executive director. I have them on my show all the time. I know the people there, and they really do put on a great, great event. It's a great time of the year, and for all the Trojan fans, you should go up there and experience it. This game is normally always sold out. It's a smaller stadium, 42, 43,000 people, a lot of noise, a lot of excitement. Kids will have a lot of fun there. It'll be nippy, probably. But it's a 12:30 kickoff game on the on the on ABC. It's an ABC game, which means everyone can see it, and uh, I think it's a great experience for kids because they can get their win and still be home for Christmas. All right, well, Coach, thanks again for coming on the show. Great stuff, and uh, we'll get to talk more next week about the Las Vegas Bowl. We'll get a lot more in depth on that. And I, of course, have a unique perspective because I cover both Fresno State and USC, so I gotta. Got a lot of thoughts, and we'll share all those next week on the show. But thanks again for coming on. Thank you, guys, and for everyone out there. Happy holidays, and thank you for being a part of our show. All right, thanks, Coach, and uh, everyone else back in a minute.
talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, uh, pretty good. Uh, just same old, same old. <laughs> nothing new. Nothing. No, just uh, third and fourth coaches this week. So, <laughs> you know, what the heck. Hey, isn't that the way it is at every place? <laughs> Lots of crazy stuff. Uh Going on the big news. So last week on the show, we didn't really get to talk about this because it was kind of we taped it Sunday night, actually. And then Monday morning is when when we normally do it. All the stuff was breaking. We would have been able to really do a show anyway because a lot was going on. But there's there's a lot of mixed uh, reviews, I guess, of USC hiring uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And now we know there's four assistant coaches on the staff with uh, T. Martin and then three guys coming down from. Washington, and then the team's getting ready. We, we start practice today. Bowl practice will be uh, starting Monday, Tuesday, and then over the weekend they're going to take some time off for finals. But, Dan, I wanted to, to play this voicemail for you because it's kind of a – and I think it's a good summary of what a way a lot of people are feeling and then kind of get your thoughts on, on what's going on with us. So here you go. Hey, Ryan and Dan, it's Chris and San Pedro. I hope you'll bear with me on a long question and get your comments. First off, I want to – Tell you that I subscribed to uh, USCfootball.com. I couldn't see it just mooching off you guys uh, listening to the podcast all the time for free, so I did it. The downside is now I spend too much time on that site, and uh, I really don't have it. But anyways, <laughs> you know my take on the coaching uh, situation is: listen, we got the best coach that was available. These other people that people are talking about, they weren't available for us to hire, and Chris Peterson didn't really appear that he wanted to be in a big market. I think one of the things I think is great about Sark and people don't realize is that Washington, in addition to being 0-12 the year before he got there, they had only won 12 wins in the five years previous that he was there, before he was there, which means that two generations of high school students probably had no interest in going to Washington at all. They had poor facilities, and he had to do what he did in a period of time when Stanford and Oregon are better than they've ever been. The other thing I love about Sark is he wants to be here. I didn't want to pay 5 or $10 million for a guy to come here who was just coming here for the money, a Gruden or a Saban, or begging Peterson to tell him that dealing with Bill Plasky or Scott Wolf, these idiots uh, down here, uh, wasn't going to be a big deal. So anyways, that's my take on it. I think it's a pretty good hire, and uh, you know, it's still going to be tough with the scholarship limitations, but I'd like to hear your, your uh, feedback. The last thing is, a Coach O, you know, I love him. But the concern I had about him was that he wasn't going to replace some of our assistant coaches, and I think some of them definitely needed to be replaced. And I don't think he should have left when he did the way he did. I think that was an emotional decision that wasn't in the best interest of those kids. Losing him and Pete Jenkins basically leaves them with, what, two defensive coaches for a bowl game? And I don't really think that was the right thing to do. So anyways, fight on. I'd like to hear, love to hear your feedback, but uh, let's give the guy a chance. 
He wants to be a Trojan. He's young. He's shown he can change. And uh, with his offense, I think we would have been better than 9-4 and four this year. That's for sure. Fight on. There we go. Dan, I, yeah, I thought you'd have I, a fun with this Chris, one. I think Chris you know, has the, the exact take in terms of uh, what he said when he said, not a bad hire, uh, you know, and, uh, and did a pretty good job at Washington. And, and, and no question, and you ought to be able to do a better job at USC than at Washington. Uh, I, I guess the downside of that is, uh, is, 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 as far as I was concerned, it, it came down to, you know, ultimately Sark was the survivor of the, the three outside guys. And then you had a choice. It certainly looks like their choice was they wanted Sark and O together, that that was the, the strength of going that direction and that they could pair Sark up with O from Sark's perspective. What they didn't do is make sure that they could do that from O's perspective, no matter how much they wanted him, no matter how much they told the others you had to have him. Uh, they didn't really clear it with Ed in terms of will you accept, you know, working with Sark uh, at the very end of the process. And, uh, and appearing to eliminate Ed and saying we're definitely not going to go for Ed, despite what he had done, uh, I think you gave a message to Ed that no matter what you said or how much you were willing to pay him, uh, you really didn't want him uh, in the role that he had assumed over those eight games. And uh, I think he had decided, I'm really good at this, and, and I, I'm the best guy for USC, which is that's the guy you want. You want, you know, the guy you – you know, if it would have been me, probably the decision would have come – down to stability, to be honest, having a fourth coach and then to bring in a whole new coaching staff, for example, with all their draft-eligible juniors, I think the people you want talking to them are the guys that know them the best and the guys they trust. And that's not going to happen now. And I think that's a shame, even for some of the you know sophomores that are three-year guys. Uh, you really want the people that brought him on. And you could make an argument that if you looked at the body of work, you know, this year, who did a better job, the reconstituted Ed Orgeron staff or the, or the you know, the, um, you know, staff that Sark had built in five years at Washington. And, and, and all good points about, you know, what Sark has done at Washington. And I do like the direction of the offense. One would hope that just as Sark made the transition, from, uh, you know, the pro-style kind of, you know, USC offense that he shared with, uh, with Lane. Uh, I think USC would have also made that transition, uh, you know, in the coming year. They were stuck with what they were stuck with and finished out, you know, pretty well uh, considering the inconsistency of the offensive line play. But I do think USC would have gone in that direction as well next year. I think Ed made a lot of interesting changes in – he did a lot of coaching things behind the scenes where he didn't take credit for, but I mean, I think, you know, getting Shaw back to, back to corner and solidifying the secondary, uh, simplifying the, you know, the offensive line assignments and seeing fewer whiffs and just, just total, you know, the kind of mistakes you were seeing earlier in the year. I think that was all Ed um, behind the scenes. When you talk to people, Ed had been thinking about this for a long time, what he would do, how he would do it. And he came in flying. 
I mean, what he did to um, uh, rally the coaching staff and convince them that they could really be good and have a really strong finish, that was remarkable. That takes a strong, strong, strong leader. So now you've got a situation where you had to, you know, you had to make a call. Do we go change everything, spend a lot more money, and bring in a new staff? Or do we, you know, we still got another year of NCAA sanctions, scholarship limitations. Do we, you know, do we go with somebody who's coached under those scholarship limitations for two years, a staff that's, that's dealt with them for two years, or do we bring in a new staff that will tell you they think they know how to deal with a limited roster, but they've never had to do that. There, there are a lot of issues. It's, uh, uh, but you made a good case, uh, you know, for the, for the Sark Hart. And I think Sark will do well. I think he's a very competitive recruiter. Uh, I like what he does on offense. Uh, uh, you you want to see what happens when the going gets tough, and do his teams have that ability, you know, to to come back? Uh, do they have that ability to slug it out? Uh, you know, a little bit with Stanford a year ago, and you know they've they've obviously matched up you know decently with Stanford, but they've let games really get away from them, and uh, you just can't have that happening going forward at USC, uh, even you know, with the, with the limitations uh, that are there. Uh, but one does wonder, does this impact USC negative? I know one of the, you know, negatively in the short term, I know one of the justifications was we had to do it right away because of the four early entry positions. I mean, I've been one who wasn't always that, you know, thrilled by, the, you know, the rationale that you had to bring Lane in to save the recruiting class, and that's in a couple of months. Uh, that you could, you know, short-term one-year recruiting class, you know, decides who your head coach is. I'm not, I'm not convinced that's a good way to go. I'm really not convinced that you have to rush a hire because you've got four early entry positions that you have to decide. Like, they wouldn't have been decided had you not kept, the, you know, the staff on that was doing the recruiting. I mean, there <laughs> you know, there are a lot of issues yeah. out there that haven't been resolved. Uh, but Chris makes a good case for, uh, for Sark, and, and there is definitely uh, you know, a good case to be made. I think Sark can do well in this job. But uh, how we got there, I think people will be talking about for a long, long time. And I apologize, I set that up incorrectly. There was a couple of different voicemails, but this one was more of a contrarian view. I think most of the questions, and I didn't, I'm not even going to be able to read all of them, but just uh, a lot of them weren't really happy with the Sark hire. This was more of kind of contrarian view. And Chris, first of all, thanks for signing up and subscribing to uscfootball.com. I hope you enjoy it. And the peristyle is kind of crazy right now, so you'll have some fun with that. Uh, but the last part of his, his voicemail, Dan, I, I don't agree with, and I had a lot of Twitter fights with people over this, but I don't feel, if you ask any of the players, which I have, do you feel that Ed Orgeron abandoned you? Abandoned you? Um, you know, where, Did he do something wrong? And none of them felt that way. I mean, there was a lot of emotion there, and like you said, he would, he made a great run uh, over his eight, and he put it all into it, and I think he did a lot of good things that, like you said, he didn't get credit for. He wasn't named the, the head coach. He wants to be a head coach. Um, I have no problems with the way that he went out and, and handled things. And, uh, you know, I think there's other stuff working there behind the scenes, but I don't think that you can put this on him that he's not going to stick around and, and work for someone else uh, again uh, during his time at USC. Yeah, I, I don't think I, – I would really hesitate. I really caution people – not to get in to try to, you know, 
think you can be in the middle. You could have been sitting there in that meeting and still not be sure what went on. Uh, I just think to try to assign motives and say this was so-and-so's rationale and I don't agree with it, you don't know that. I mean, those of us who who talk to Coach O a lot more than anybody out there, and we really don't know. We really don't know. He's not. It's not something he's talking about. It's not something he's he's going to go there. Uh, but if you talk to the players, man, they, <laughs> that's where USC is lucky about that NCAA transfer rule because Coach O wouldn't have been the only one getting in a SUV and heading off campus uh, <laughs> if, if you know they were. And, which is why I can't even. I don't know how this is going to go this week. You know, starting today. Uh, you know, they, not that they don't have enough distractions with um, the early bowl game and finals this week, but uh, you know, all the you know personal decisions these guys have to make, and you know, you've got two coaching staffs in the building, and I know the coach, you know, the kids are looking at some of them, some of the older players, and like they're never going to meet these new coaches who are walking around in USC coaching gear and are wondering, you know, who are these guys? It's, uh, it's, it, I mean, this, what, what USC has, and everybody in the world has asked this group of students, student athletes to do in their time here at USC. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the challenges with these kids, I mean, we can't even describe what it must be like to have four head coaches in one year. Four yeah. head coaches in, in a little over two months. Pretty that's crazy. almost <laughs> that's never been that's never happened. It'll never happen again. It never has happened. And to have it happen at a place like USC, oh, I mean that's just you can't even imagine that scenario. I mean, if somebody said USC is going to have four different head coaches in a period of two and a half months. What would the odds of that? Go to, you know, go to Vegas yeah. you know, early and bet on that. <laughs> you couldn't get a bet on that. You can get a bet on everything. Not that. Yeah. USC is going to have four head coaches in two and a half months. Uh-uh. Crazy. Uh, well, this it next is. one is more of the lines of uh, and we got a lot of these. I, like I said, I can't read them all. But this is more like it's more of the, one of the more common themes that we've seen. This is Jim in Oregon. He says, having been a big Trojan fan for over 60 years, I hope Steve Sarkeesian can do the job. However, in looking at the way Pat Hayden handled the personnel moves, starting with the Kiffin firing, I think the Marshall School of Business has a perfect case study in how it should not, in all caps, be done. Hard to believe Pat is a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, so I think there's a lot of optimism on the Sark side, or there's some at least, but there's not a lot of people on Pat Hayden's side, it seems like, right now, Dan. No, and he knows it. And, and I mean, I was, you know, standing at the McKay Center ramp, and here comes Ed, you know, and he, on Monday, and eyes all red, and his wife, and, and uh, they, you know, one of the grad assistants brings up SUV. His last words before he got in the SUV are, boom, you know, love you, Danny, and punches you in the, kind of the shoulder, and he's gone. And, you know, within a few minutes, coming up the ramp is Pat Aiden. And I said, how's it going? And he said, I've had better days. And that's the, that back-to-back, you know, those two guys and how it didn't work out is, I, I would say, not only does the Marshall School have a case study, so does the Annenberg School. <laughs> you know, you've got 
you know, the best PR communication school in the world, maybe. And uh, I think they both have a case study on, and they should take a look at it and see, you know. And I'm, and I'm not kidding. Seriously. How did this go down and what what maybe uh, could have happened that, that it didn't happen this way? Um, Steven San Diego, kind of, kind of a follow-up to that. Is Pat Hayden now on the hot seat? Uh, it seems like he knows he is. I've never seen an AD and newly hired coach have to fly to game day to do damage control. What do you think about that? Well, no. Uh, as long as Max, is, you know, has, is Max Nikias is the president, I don't think so. Uh, right. I mean, I think you know that's one of those ones where you know you really have to be at the you know at the pleasure of the president. Uh, and you know, so far, I guess uh, you know, I, I obviously Max wasn't as thrilled, you know. At, at the result that they got or the response that they got. And, and you really shouldn't have to be doing damage control when you hire a new head coach and you really shouldn't have to, you know, be saying, you know, his record wasn't that bad when you look at it <laughs> or, you know, I mean, and that's kind of what Pat had to say, you know, but then, you know, people who, you don't have to have an advanced degree in math when you're saying, you know, talking about eight and four records or eight and four is the best record five wins in the Pac-12, and people are like, wait a minute, isn't the USC team with nine wins and six in the Pac-12 after changing coaches in the middle of the year? So, you know, it's uh, it's, – they're in a difficult – that's not an easy position to have been in. Uh, The one one word I got from the, you know, inside the – power, you know, structure at the at, at USC on Monday after everything was finished and the press conferences were over and everybody was, you know, leaving is the, the exact quote is we got through it. You know, you you'd rather have the day you hired your new coach uh end with not we got through it. Right. Supposed to be a happy occasion. And uh I mean the the whole Ed Orgeron leaving thing it ended up being like the atmosphere was like a funeral down there as opposed to being happy so you have players crying and then just bawling their eyes out and then you're introducing the new head coach and it's just not the mood i like like the case like you said about the case study that's really not the mood you kind of wanted to be in when you're you know this joyous occasion it's not often you get to hire a new head football coach uh, but it certainly wasn't like that. It wasn't a joyous occasion on campus. <laughs> Except for USC. <laughs> you hire them like every two weeks. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and he, you know, and Sark had a tough sell Monday night, you know, with, uh, you know, I, I told him, actually, he, you know, he saw me through the window, at, you know, like we were standing outside McKay Center, you know, kind of waiting, and he, he came out, you know, waved and smiled and came over and opened the door. And I, I don't know that was the greeting he wanted, but I, I just felt, you know, compelled to say, and right off the bat, I said, so he's getting ready to go in and be introduced to the team. I said, do you realize how hard, how difficult a challenge you've got right now? I mean, I, I, you really wanted him to, because you're outside, you can't really know how, you know, what, what this is going to be like. And, uh, you know, according to the kids, it was tough, uh, especially, you know, the first part where he was talking about what he wanted to do and they're sitting there staring at him. Uh, and this wasn't, this isn't an easy sell and it may not ever be, uh, uh, you know, 
you know, people will say, well, maybe when the spring gets here. And the problem with the spring is you don't know how many players he's going to have. Right. <laughs> and if they go into spring way down in numbers and in guys you thought might be back who aren't back, uh, you know, pro day might might be more upbeat than spring practice. I mean, uh, it's uh, – I mean, I don't think we know. I don't yeah. think we know where this is going uh, in terms of, you know, the short-term future. I mean, we have no idea how this bowl game is going to turn out. And here's the, the other thing about the bowl game. You know, people were speculating, ooh, does Pat Hayden want USC to win against UCLA? Just the very fact you've got to speculate about that tells you something's wrong. Right. Because then he'll have to hire Ed Orgeron or, you know, the story in the you know, that uh, are USC fans hoping they lose against UCLA so they don't hit the There are no USC fans except, you know, we have five I could probably name on the, on the P, but otherwise, <laughs> uh, you know, weren't thinking that thought. But somebody was. So now you're thinking, what would happen with, quote, Ed Orgeron's staff going with his philosophy, as Clay Helton said they were, they're going to continue on what they've been doing the previous eight games, and they win in Las Vegas. Is that good thing for the current, you know, for the new staff, or a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Is that a, one of those more, you know, where people say, see, we should have kept those guys? Yeah. <laughs> they don't even have jobs. Or if they lose... Is that a case of, see, there's no way they would have lost if they wouldn't have screwed this all up, and now we've got two straight bad bowl games on our resume at USC. Right. So, and I, it almost reads to me like a no-win situation. Yeah. Well, Whether you, you win or you lose. Well, and speaking of that, you, know, you talk about the staff. Uh, we, we put up a big, long post on the Peristyle if you want to check that out. For subscribers about the assistant coaching staff, but essentially there's there's four guys on staff right now, but there's still the old staff, which is going to do the bowl week preparation. And I guess the telling sign to me over the weekend, Dan, and I wrote about this in that that post. Um, T. Martin's the only one that has officially been retained, so he was out recruiting. The new the three new coaches from Washington were out recruiting, and none of the other assistants were. So it's kind of like this fractured thing, almost like what you saw at Ohio State, where there's like a staff that is out recruiting and there's a staff that's preparing for the bowl game. And there's only one guy in the middle, T Martin, who's, who's got to kind of do both. So it's a, it's a really weird situation right now with the coaching staff. Well, and T Martin, the holdover has no idea what he's going to be coaching next year. Apparently there's no assignments being made. Now, yeah. obviously they have to wait to see what else happens in Washington, but that is the difficult thing. There are people who would say, how is the Washington staff better than the USC staff? You know, I mean, what would a blended staff work better than, uh, you know, an almost entire Washington staff? I mean, you know, there are legitimate questions that, you know, if you say, for example, if you're Sark and you say, I want to put, and you tell the players, we're going to put together the best coaching staff in America. And then you bring your entire Washington coaching staff with you. People might look at that and say, oh, huh, who knew? They were the best coaching staff in America. That's, uh, 
that's the reality of it. We're not going to sugarcoat it. There is a reality out there that how do you square? I'm going to put the best you know coaching staff in America together here with uh, you know pretty much bringing everybody from Washington that you can bring. Yeah. Does that mean you had the best coaching staff in America already? Is that you know? Yeah. I mean, you're there you the... go. I mean, <laughs> I mean, USC went up there last year and beat them 24-14. And didn't even play in the second half. You know, that was that game where Lane decided he was going to, you know, go into the four corners right. in the second half. And the USC players were all, like, just steaming that, that he put his foot on the brakes, you know. And it was like, you know, we can beat these guys, you know, one hand time behind our back. <laughs> there wasn't any sense of, wow, this is a game we really got to be ready to play. Or, you know, you had none of that sense going to Washington last year that there was a – any kind of a serious challenge from Washington. And that was there the was stretch a, USC had lost five of six. That was the one, the one that they won of the five That was the six. one they won, right. And they won, <laughs> on the again, road. remember, after the game, Barkley and Woods and Lee and everybody are like, what the heck? You know, we had a 10-point lead and we didn't even try to run any offense a second. It was, that was the game where you realized, uh-oh, the wheels are starting to come off. They're mad at winning yeah. on the road. Because they had, they really didn't have much respect for, you know, a ten-point win at Washington. They didn't think that represented the difference in the programs, yeah. and it probably didn't. Oh, good point. Uh, we have one last one for you, Dan. Um, Nico wrote in, just kind of. This is a little off-topic, but he wanted to get your thoughts on this. I know you know stuff like this. The peristyle end of the Coliseum is an eyesore with the subway. Chevron and Miller Lite, huge ads covering the beautiful arches. And now with those uh, Audi tents, will someone go to to call and get rid of all that? I don't think USC needs the extra revenue. The Coliseum was built with those beautiful arches, with underside painting for a reason, not to be covered with ads. Cheers, Nico. Man, you could. Is it Nico or Miko? Nico, yeah. He couldn't be more correct. Oh my goodness, <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, one of the great architectural, you know, features of a stadium anywhere in the history of the world and, to, you know, to cover it up uh, with those horrific tents uh, and signs is just... Uh, now, I know they engaged an architect and they've got one of the best uh, companies in the country uh, and uh, the DLR group. Uh, and uh, they, I think the guy working on the project is... Uh, it came over from the uh, company HOK in Kansas City that has done so many stadiums. And I know they're they're getting a lot of ideas of all the things they can do with the Coliseum, but you don't need to uh, – uh, I'll tell you, you told them, just tear those things down now. You know, I, I figure out another way uh, to put in uh, – you know, I mean, for me, I've always thought a self-standing – you see it in places like Colorado or – or Texas or a lot of places have kind of put in uh, uh, where it doesn't have to be part of the stadium, but it's right next to the stadium, overhangs the stadium, where you can put in a, a separate building with suites and maybe athletic offices and a you know souvenir place and all the you know Hall of Fame even USC is going to put that on campus. Although we'll see how how the the new Heritage Hall works, but uh, uh, yeah, I would uh, I would go with that in a heartbeat. I think it's inappropriate uh, to block the peristyle in any way, and uh, and the tents just look you know, crappy. I mean, they're just uh, they're they're unbecoming 
that building that deserves uh, you know to be treated in a in a really uh, you know respectful fashion. I mean, a case could be made. It's the you know the most important stadium in the history of the world since the original Coliseum, and it probably is, and uh, and should be treated as such. Uh, so. I agree. All right. Yeah, I knew you'd like that one, Dan, so I wanted to save that <laughs> one for last. <laughs> I like it, too. I agree with it, too. So, All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on the show and uh, sharing your insights. Definitely check out – everyone check out uscfootball.com. We'll have tons of information on the coaching staff and how it's filling out, what's going on with recruiting, all that. So check all that out, and thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 